Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. So let me pray, and we'll jump into the message. Uh, Father, this is a good morning. We're so grateful for spring and for a pretty morning, and we're grateful for the worship and um, the chance to just focus our our hearts, our thoughts, our minds upon you for a bit. I pray this morning as we look out at John uh, chapter 1 that, that you would help um, me to get out of the way and your word to show its power. I pray that you'd speak to each one of us in a, in a unique way, whether it's through something I say or just something that you say, but that you would speak, you would draw us into this story at the end of John chapter 1, and we would hear the call that you give us to come and follow you, to to be a witness to others, and to devote our lives to you. So Holy Spirit, just do your work this morning, and we invite you to take over, uh, speak through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in John chapter 1, the very end of the chapter. And uh, I have been thinking a lot since last week about Jim's message. Um, And if you remember what he said, we're called to be witnesses of Jesus. And um, that is a key theme in the book of John, witnessing. And so uh, this morning we're going to look at this, uh, this idea of witnessing and unpack it a little bit more. And I, I have to be really honest. The idea of witnessing, depending on how it's done and what we're talking about, makes me really uncomfortable. I, uh, I became a Christian and, and went to University of Texas just a few months later and got involved with Crew. And one of Crew's great strengths is evangelism. It really stresses sharing your faith. And, and so, it, you know, even my first, like probably my second meeting with a staff guy who was discipling me, he said, Dave, do you know how to share your faith? And I said, nope. And he said, okay, here's the four spiritual laws read it through. We're going to go find a guy in the union and, and I'll share it the first time. And then next week you'll share it uh, with someone. And so that's what we did. We walked up, we found an unsuspecting student. We shared the four spiritual laws. He did it the first time. The next week he said, Dave, you're on. And I got to be honest, like I am an introvert by nature. I am quiet. I'm reserved. I hate talking to strangers. Well, fast forward a little bit. My freshman year, we went to Daytona Beach at spring break. And spring break um, for, for crew is a big deal. They go to beaches all around the U.S. and they, they just do beach evangelism. So for a week, I went up to people I didn't know and tried to strike up a conversation and then share the four spiritual laws with them. And the, uh, the culmination of that week is they'll put on a free concert that's actually pretty good on the beach. And the idea is, is it would draw a crowd and then we would infiltrate the crowd and share the four spiritual laws with people. And, and so somehow that night, I got linked up with a guy who was on staff with crew from Alabama, University of Alabama. His name was Jim. And Jim was an extrovert and, and had evangelistic gifts. And he said, hey, you want to go out there with me? And I'm like, no, I don't. But we went out and I'm praying, you know, we're praying for who we talk to, and I'm looking for like the individual who's the wimpiest person on the beach, who's kind of on the outskirts, kind of like me, you know, kind of just to go talk with someone who was just quiet. 
And Jim goes, well, let's talk to them. And I look up and there's a, a group of about 50 bikers sitting on their Harleys, you know, like this, listening to the, the thing. And they're the motorcycle gang. And, and so Jim goes, let's talk to them. And I'm like, Jim, the Spirit is not leading us. <laughs> Mm-mm. And so we went up and, and uh, Jim strikes up a conversation with the guy who's clearly the leader of this gang. And, and he starts talking and I'm just cowering behind Jim, praying we don't die, let alone this guy comes to know Christ. And so Jim, we'd been talking maybe five minutes to these guys, and finally the, the gang leader goes, hey man, I, I appreciate you coming up here, but I think for your own safety you ought to leave. And so I'm gone. Like, I'm out of there. And Jim's still standing there talking to him, so I literally go up and I grab Jim's arm and I'm just pulling him away from these guys. And, and so that's like... I don't know that it left scars, but that's what I think about when I think about witnessing, is these, these experiences that are horribly uncomfortable for someone like me. I am quiet, I'm reserved, and so I was really encouraged when I heard, like Brian a few weeks ago when he was preaching and he said, you know, just pray for people. I thought, that's brilliant, but I'm going to have to quit going to the self-service lane because I can't pray for the self-service checkout thing, Right? I'd have to actually talk to somebody when I check out. It's designed for people like me, an introvert. And so, um, and I was encouraged by Jim last week, just saying, just share what Jesus is doing in your life. And so we're going to explore a little bit more about witnessing and, and being a witness for Christ. And I, and I have to say, all those things are great, but eventually we do have to invite someone, come and follow Jesus. We have to share the gospel with them, what Jesus has done. And we have to ask them, is this something that you want to do? And that's something we're going to look at this morning. Um, we're going to look at uh, five people's stories out of the book, uh, out, of, out of 1 John, or John, John chapter 1. Um, and what we're going to see is each of these people have an encounter with Jesus, and they start that journey of following Jesus and, and believing in him. But then they turn right around and become witnesses of him. And that's kind of the thing that John wants us to focus on is, is John chapter 1. And I, I have never studied the book of John before. And so for me, this has been an amazing study. Um, I am discovering what an incredibly well-written book this is from a literary standpoint. And John chapter 1 is really an interesting chapter because it's a microcosm of the whole book of all the 21 chapters of John. Because in John, what we have is, is remember John's purpose in writing the book, John chapter 20, verse 31? He says, I'm writing these things so that you may know that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing you may have eternal life in Him. And that's why John wrote the book. And so what we get in John chapter 1 is, is this idea of people who have learned something about Jesus, they believe in him, and then they start following him. They, they've done that step, and then they turn around and become witnesses of him. So as we look at the five people's stories this morning, what John wants us to do is not just read about people, he wants us to see our story in their stories. So I want you to picture yourself in these five people who are following Jesus. And hear Jesus speaking to you this morning. So um, 
And here's the big idea or the main point of the message. I always like to try to summarize. If, if you had to summarize what I'm going to say in one sentence, here it is. That Jesus invites you to come and follow him. But also to invite others to meet him. Jesus invites you to come and follow him. But he also wants you to invite others to follow him. So the outline of the message is pretty simple this morning. There's, there's four stories or four ways that we see that people come to know Jesus. And so that's going to be my outline, the four ways that people come to know Jesus from this passage. And as I go through these, I'm going to ask, again, I'm an introvert. So anytime someone says, would you raise your hand in church? I don't. But I'm going to ask you, if you would, to raise your hand. Uh, if, if the answer to the question replies to you. So do you mind? It'll be encouraging to other people. I know you extroverts don't get that, but every introvert in here just went, I hate this. <laughs> yep. So we're going to start, and we're going to start with 35 to 40. The first way we come to know Christ is through preaching. And we're gonna, I'm going to just, I'm going to just kind of walk through this passage. We're at the end of John, John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. I'm just going to kind of walk us through it. So I'm going to take it in chunks. So the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And then turning around, Jesus saw them following and he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with them. It was about the 10th hour. Now, I, I just want to ask this. How many of you were introduced to, this is your participation moment, how many of you were introduced to following Christ through like a sermon or a book or a podcast? Anyone? Okay, I see that, that one or two hands. No, that's great. So some of us will come to know Christ because we hear a message and we just follow it. And that's exactly what happened with John. Remember, John the Baptist had been preaching. That's what precedes this. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, we, we see John the Baptist reaches the crescendo of his message, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the story kind of stops, and we pick it up here with the next day. John is sitting with two of his disciples. One of them's Andrew, we know from verse 40, and the other one isn't mentioned, but most people think it's John, who never mentions his own name in this book. So Andrew and John are sitting with John the Baptist, and they see Jesus walk by. And Jesus says, look, the Lamb of God. What's he doing? Well, he's reminding him of the, of the sermon he just preached. And he's saying, guys, it's time to apply what I was talking about. Go, follow Jesus. And in this, what he's doing is he's giving permission to Andrew and John to stop following him and to start following Jesus. Now, John is going to do a number of play on words here. This is why this is great literature. It, the book of John is full of these levels of meaning. And this is one of them, where he starts with follow. Because what he's saying is, they followed him in the sense of they walked in the same direction as Jesus, right? But they also then followed him in a different sense. They changed their allegiance from John to Jesus 
And that's part of, for the book of John, what following Jesus is about, is we take the, our allegiance to something else, even a good thing like John, and we now place it upon Jesus and we begin following him um, with our lives. So then, in verse 38, this, this exchange begins. And it's kind of an interesting one. There's a lot of odd exchanges, actually, in this passage when you first read it. But as we spend time with it, I think you'll see it's pretty logical. So, so Jesus, I, I picture John and Andrew, they get up from John and they just start walking behind Jesus. And they're trying to think, okay, what do we say to him? I, do, do we tell him we're following him? What do, what do we do? And, and Jesus just goes, turns around to them and initiates the conversation and says, what do you want? Now here again is one of these multi-layered questions, right? On the one hand, it's what are you doing? But it's also a question that John is asking us. What do you want? What do you want? What are you really seeking in life? What, what is driving you? What, what is it that you're really looking for and hungering for? And, and I think John put it in here. Because when Jesus turned around and asked him that question, I think it went down to the very roots of his being. And it just captured him. And he realized Jesus was asking him one of those important life questions. What do you want? And Jesus is asking that of us this morning. That's what John is doing here. Every question in here, every statement in here is for us. It's our story. And so Jesus is asking you too this morning, what do you want? And then, what's their answer? Where are you staying? Huh? But again, it's this important question because the Greek word for staying is meno. And, and it's this word that, that can mean, like, what are you staying? Like, what hotel are you at, Jesus? But it also can mean a deeper theological and personal meaning, which is to, to like take up residence in, to completely dwell somewhere. Or in John chapter 15, it's the same word for abide. It's this idea of where are you staying? John is introducing this, this concept that's going to be throughout the book of John. Meno, where are you abiding? And, and it's really interesting. John uses this word 40 times in his book. Sometimes it's just, what hotel are you at? But oftentimes it's got that really deep theological and personal uh, implication to it. And, and John, in fact, the, the word is used 112 times in the New Testament. John uses it 66. So it's an important word for John, and it's being introduced to us right here. So then in verses 39 to 40, Jesus, Jesus has said, come, he says, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, this is where we know it's Andrew, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. Now, here again is a play on words. Come and you will see. Um, what Jesus is saying is certainly if you come and follow me, like walk along the same path, you'll be seeing where I'm at. But he's also saying, come and your eyes will be opened. Remember the question, what are you seeking? Come and you'll find what you're seeking. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, get to know with me, stay with me, and your eyes are going to be opened. 
And you know, this is Jesus speaking to us right now. This is where we have to put our story in. Jesus is saying the same thing. Don't just get to know a fact about me. Get to know me. And as you get to know me, what's going to happen is the eyes of your heart are going to be opened. You're going to start seeing the world through faith. And it's always in that order. You know, we're not going to really see him. We're not going to really understand life until we start following him. Until we accept his invitation, come to him and then follow him. And when we do that, we're going to see him. So that's the first way we come to know Christ is through preaching. And by the way, I, I originally started working on my notes and I had about 50 minutes of sermon here. Wasn't going to work. So I'm going to just, I'm, I'm not going to do justice to any of this. But if you want, go back today and reread it, dig into this. There's so much in here that I'm not covering. So the second way is through a relative. Through a relative, it's in verses 41 and 42. Let me read that. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah, that's the Christ. That's John's note. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him, at, at, at Simon, and said, you're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated into the Greek is Peter or Petrus or rock. Now, I love the description here. What, what's the very first thing Andrew did? He goes and grabs his brother and says, I found him. I found Messiah. Let's go. Come and see. Now, I just want to ask you, how many of you came to know Christ through a relative? That that's where you started following. It could have been grandmother, grandfather, mom, dad, brother, sister, but it was a relative. Nice. I love it. So um, we have three glimpses of Andrew in the book of John. He's not a well-known apostle, but we have three glimpses of him in, in the book of John. You know what he's doing? Every single time he's bringing someone to Jesus. Wouldn't you love to be that's what you're known for? Like that's what's on your tombstone. She brought people to Jesus. Anyway, that's, that's, that's Andrew. And so here again is this interesting uh, interaction between Jesus and now Simon. What, is, what, what does Jesus do? Hi, I'm Simon. Nope, you're Cephas. Hmm. You know, in, it, what Jesus is doing here is showing incredible authority, right? Like if I introduce myself to you and I say, I'm Dave, and you say, no, you're Bill. I'm just going to laugh and walk away. I'm going to okay, nice. Mm-hmm. Why? You have no authority over me. But what if you're the king of the universe and you say you're no longer who you used to be? You have all authority to change me. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's changing his identity. And that's what he does for all of us. That's where we enter into this story, right? What he's doing is he's telling Jesus, or G Jesus is telling Peter, you're now no longer Simon, you're going to be the rock. And Peter has no clue what that means. In fact, he has to grow into that name, doesn't he? But that's exactly what Jesus does. He, he gives us a new identity when we come and follow him. He changes who we are. John chapter 3, we'll, we'll talk about that in terms of being born again. We literally become someone new. And that's part of what Jesus does. He gives us a new identity and we're no longer the person we used to be.
So that's the second way we come to know Jesus. I told you I'm going to fly through these, through a relative. Now the third way is really different. It's in verse 43, and it's through a direct call. Uh, And it's Philip. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And Jesus, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, I just want to know, how many of you were brought to Christ by God just speaking to you and saying, follow me? A dream, a vision, just you knew you had to follow Jesus. Yeah, it's not too common in the United States. But in other cultures and circumstances, it's actually very common for God to lead people to him directly and say, you just follow me. And he reveals himself. And that's fine if if God doesn't do that to you. But remember the play on words? Same thing going on here. Follow me. Don't, Philip, don't just see where I'm going. Come and join me. Change your allegiances from what you used to follow to now follow me. So the third way is through a direct call. And then the last way is in verses 41, 44 through the end of the chapter is through a friend. And I'm going to just break this down into a couple of chunks here. Um, 44, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, Come and see, said Philip. Now, um, the fourth way that we come to know people is through a friend. Or, sorry, we come to know Jesus is through a friend. And so, how many of you came to know Christ through a friend? I'm one of those. I came to know Christ through a friend. So, what Philip does, and I just think this is so cool, Philip starts following, and what does he do? Immediately invites his friend Nathaniel to come and see Jesus. And, and Nathaniel is probably the Apostle Bartholomew. I think most, most commentators think that is, is a second name for him. And, and Philip says, we found the one that Moses has been talking about. We found the Messiah. And he adds, he's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And, and how, does, how does Nathaniel respond? Skepticism. What? And I think it probably wasn't that Messiah had come, but just that there was no way Messiah was coming from Nazareth, and Messiah is supposed to come from David, not Joseph. So I think Nathaniel is just saying, I'm not buying this. And what I love is Nathaniel's response, or Philip's response to Nathaniel's skepticism. What does he do? Just come and see. Just come, check out Jesus. No great arguments, no grand apologetics. He just says, come and see. Check Jesus out. And you know, this is a really important theme that's going to be woven throughout the book of John. Is that that skepticism, believing in Jesus, doubts, we don't deal with those through arguments and the intellect. We deal with those through a relationship with Jesus. And that, that's important to the book of John. That, that faith, which is genuinely seeing, is granted when we come into an, a personal encounter with Jesus. Um, so, so when we witness to someone and we encounter skepticism, 
with Jesus, we need to do what Philip did. We just keep asking, come and see. Come and see. Check Jesus out. You know, it's not your job to convert people. It's not your job to argue someone into the kingdom. It's just your job to introduce them to Jesus and let them see him. And as I mentioned, this is how I came to know Christ, is through a friend. In middle school and high school, I, I moved into atheism. My family's not Christians. And I, I started studying atheism in middle school. And I thought I was a pseudo-intellect. And I was a pseudo-intellect. And I knew just enough arguments of atheism to be dangerous. And two weeks before my senior year of high school, my family moved from Tulsa to Dallas. And in God's providence, he, I met two Christians in my high school, Gary and Tammy. Neither of them were sophisticated. They had just come to know Christ themselves. And they started talking to me about Jesus and inviting me, in essence, come and see. And, and so being the pseudo-intellectual I was, I, I just started wrapping them up in these atheistic arguments. And, and Tammy was a very emotional person, and, and she would just cry every time she talked to me. And I, I remember at one point telling her, Tammy... I just want you to know, if you talk to me about Christ, I will make you cry. I was a wonderful guy back then. <laughs> and, and, so I, and she did. And every day she would talk to me about Christ, and every day I would make her cry. And, but what was she doing? She was saying, come and see, every day. She didn't have great arguments to answer my atheistic drivel. She just kept saying, come and see. One night, she invited me. She called me up on the phone and said, hey, there's a Christian musician. Come and see. And you know what? I went, and I became a Christian. She didn't have great arguments. She didn't need them. I needed Jesus, not intellectual arguments. I just needed Jesus, and I found him that night. Come and see. Come and see. You know, all she was saying is, let's explore Jesus together. And she hung in there, and I became a Christian. We get some insight, though, into dealing with doubt. And I just want to invite you, if you're dealing with a doubter, a skeptic, or if you personally are really struggling with some doubts, we get some insight here. And, and, and I just want to say this, is, is we don't deal with doubts by having all the answers. We don't. Um, we deal with doubts by coming closer and closer to Jesus. Because doubts from a spiritual perspective are not an intellectual knowledge problem. They're a relational problem. We're not close enough to Jesus. And so I, I am a big fan of apologetics, which is how we know Christianity is true. I'm a big fan. I've studied them. I majored in them in seminary. And, and eventually, I, I worked through all of my questions as an atheist, but it was after I came to know Jesus. And, and so I just want to say, if, if someone is really struggling that you're inviting to Jesus or you're really struggling with doubts, you don't necessarily need more knowledge. You need more Jesus. Because 80 to 90% of your struggle is not intellectual. It's spiritual. It's relational. It's that you're too far from Jesus. 
And yes, deal with the 10 to 20%. There are great books, articles. I, I would love to talk with you if you're struggling with some intellectual issues. But I just want to tell you, you will just have more and more intellectual issues if you're not at the same time drawing with Jesus, drawing near to Jesus. Because what happens is, as we draw near to Him, the magnitude of our questions are easily dealt with. In other words, I can live with some dissonance in my life because I know Jesus. Yeah, there are great answers, and I encourage you to find those. But your issue is trust. Your issue is relationship. It's not intellect. Okay, 47 to 49. Um, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to them, him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, Jesus, when he, when, when he sees Nathanael, he, he goes on the offensive. He does something that's really different, doesn't he? He, he says to Nathanael, in essence, um, I know you, and you are an Israelite with no deception in you. And, and, and what Jesus is doing, I think, is, is kind of messing with Nathanael. I think he's playing with him a bit and his skepticism. And, and because what he's doing is, is he's introducing himself in a very unique way. So remember, Israel was Jacob's name when he got his name changed. Remember Genesis, that Jacob went from the name he was Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel. And so when Jesus introduces himself to Nathaniel, he says, in essence, an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. He's playing. And, and Jacob's like, What? And, and what, what he does is I think he's getting to, to Nathaniel's character. That can, while Nathaniel had some skepticism to him, he was generally a what-you-see-is-what-you-get kind of guy. He wasn't deceptive. There was this really good side to Nathaniel. But he still needed Jesus. And Nathaniel, in essence, asks, how do you know me? And Jesus says, well, while you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you before Philip ever came and got you. And, and Nathaniel, there, there's a lot of speculation by commentators. What does the fig tree mean and what was he doing? And I don't think it matters. I, I just don't. What matters, though, is Nathaniel, whatever he was doing under the fig tree, when Jesus talked to him, Nathaniel thought that only God should have known what he was doing, that, God, that he was there. Whatever he was doing, only God should have known this. And he cries out, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He got it. He came. He saw. He got it. He believed. And then guess what? He turns into a witness. And, and this is exactly the response that John is hoping you'll have as you read these five encounters with Jesus. He's hoping you'll do exactly what Nathaniel's done, exactly what Andrew and John have done, exactly what Philip's done, exactly what Peter has done. That you'll say, I get it. I'm coming. I followed you. And, and so John is inviting you into this story. Come, experience Jesus. Listen to him, believe, and then start inviting others to come and see. So then we wrap up in 50 and 51. 
Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. Well, you shall see greater things than that. You ain't seen nothing yet, in other words. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Again, kind of an odd interaction. Another one, right? Well, some of it is because we don't speak Greek and English doesn't reflect it well. But in verse 50, the you there is singular. So he's talking to Nathaniel. And he says, you, Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet. Just keep following me and more and more your eyes will be opened. But in 50, Jesus changes from a singular you to a plural you, y'all. Right? So he's saying y'all. Um, and and what he, what he's, he's no longer talking to just Nathaniel. He's talking to all of us. It, it, to, to anyone who follows Jesus. And he uses another picture from Jacob's life. And I think that's why he said an Israelite in whom there's no Jacob. Because he wants to make this point. And this point is again from, from Genesis. It's from Genesis 28 in the life of Jacob. If you remember, Jacob is on his way back to face his brother Esau, and he stops and camps at a place called Bethel, which means house of God. And he has this odd dream where angels are going up and down a ladder to heaven, and they're going up to heaven and back down, and it's this picture of the angels bringing God's will to, to the earth and God's ways to the earth through this ladder. And so what Jesus is doing is saying, when you come to me, I'm the new Bethel. I'm the new house of God. When you come to me, I'm the one who's now revealing what God is doing. I'm the latter. I'm the one who, when you follow me, you're actually seeing what the Father is doing in heaven because I'm the Son of God. So it's a great picture. And, and then Jesus ends it with a description of himself. He calls himself the Son of Man. Now, this is Jesus' most popular title for himself. He uses it 80 times in the Gospels. And it, it, interestingly, it comes from Daniel chapter 7, 7.13. And it actually means nothing about Jesus' humanity. If you go back and read Daniel 7.13, it's all about Jesus' deity, the Almighty God. And so what Jesus is doing is saying, I am the Son of God here when he says the Son of Man. So... Um, and then the chapter ends. It ends. John chapter 1 ends. Now, do you see it? Do you see what John's been doing? Why this is such a brilliant literary piece? What's he done in chapter 1? Well, he's given us a little bit of information about Jesus. That's what he said he'd do in the book of John. And then he shows us five people who respond to Jesus. They don't just take facts about Jesus. They don't just watch him. They engage with Jesus and they begin following him. Come and see. Follow me. I'm going to change your identity. And now become a witness of me. Do you see it? John chapter 1, do you get what John's doing? He's using these five people to, to, to go, are you with me? Do you get it? Do you see it? Come and see. And then follow. There are 16 titles in, in this chapter alone about Christ. That's why John jam-packed this, this chapter with titles about Christ. We saw eight of them right here. 
Lamb of God, Rabbi, Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of Joseph, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man. And then he shows five people who changed the course of their lives and they believed and began following Jesus and then they became witnesses of Jesus. Every statement, every question in here is written for us. Yeah, John's using it, these five people, but he's using them as a device, and he's one of them, right? He's using them as a device to invite us, come and see. Follow Jesus. What do you want? What do you really want out of life? Come and see. So that brings us back to the big idea. And I'll just summarize it again, say it one more time. Jesus invites you to come and follow him. But he also invites you to come and invite others to meet him also. So what do we do with this? And I'll just wrap it up. I, I know I said I wouldn't go 50 minutes, and I promise I won't. But um, let, me, let me give three applications. And the first one is, is come and see. And this... this um, This applies to every one of us here this morning. It doesn't matter where you're at. If you're still exploring Jesus, come and see. Go deeper. If you know Jesus already, it's come and see in the present tense. Keep doing it. Keep coming every day. Keep seeing more of me. We call it abiding. And John's going to bring that theme back up in John 15. So I I just want to ask you, you if you feel like you don't know Christ but you've been exploring him and you feel like, I don't know. I just want to encourage you, come and see. Today's the day. Come and see. It wasn't great arguments. They just started following Jesus and they came and saw. So stop following what you've been following and come follow me. That's John's invitation. That's Jesus' invitation. It's our invitation. But second, I want to talk about doubt. And I want to come back to something I I said earlier. And I I know that there are folks who struggle with doubt because I have coffee a couple times a week with guys and we talk about things. And I know people are struggling with doubts. And, And I just want to say again, doubt is not primarily an intellectual issue. It's a relational issue. And so if you really want to work on your doubt, work on your relationship with Jesus. And, and because it's not intellectual answers. Now, I'm a big fan of apologetics. I've studied it. I'm happy to walk you through questions you have. I'd love to do that and be, grab coffee with you. But that's not going to meet the real need that's causing your doubt. What's causing your doubt is distance. And, and what's interesting about doubt is it creates a cycle. That as we doubt, we pull away from Jesus because we're doubting. And then as we pull away from Jesus, the distance gets further and the doubt gets greater. And it becomes a cycle. You want to break the cycle of doubt? Draw near to Jesus. Just choose. I'm going to follow Jesus today and seek Him. Read your Bible. Pray. Worship. Spend time with Him. And what's going to happen is as the distance closes and your relationship tightens, your doubts are going to become manageable. They may not go away, but they'll become manageable and you can live with them. So then the third thing is just bring others. 
Uh, isn't it great? You know, Philip and, and Andrew, what they did, they didn't have all the answers. They barely knew what they were talking about. They'd only found Jesus a few minutes ago or yesterday. And they started inviting others. And, and so I, I just want to ask you, are you inviting others? Are there people in your life that you just long to see them come to know Jesus? Are there people in your life like me? And will you be a Tammy to them? Will you just keep inviting? Who is it that you are just brokenhearted for with the love of Christ? That you just long, you long to see them come to know Jesus. That's that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to tune our hearts to His because He is brokenhearted for that person that you're thinking of to come to know Him. So think about how people come to know Him. They come to know Him through preaching, through family, through friends, through a direct call. These are great ways to pray for people that we are burdened for, right? Jesus, just show up in this person's life. And give them a sermon. Invite them to hear something. Invite them to a concert. Just ask them, come and follow consistently. And see, you know, maybe do even an investigative Bible study with them. I've got some great ones if you want me to email them to you. Um, but just are you being intentional? Are you praying? Are you brokenhearted for people? And if you're not, then that's where it starts. Is God break my heart for the friends you've put around me? Make me care so much that I have to invite them. Come and see. Let's pray. Jesus, this, this is such a rich picture of you. I love your interactions here. When we first read them, they're enigmatic, they're different. We don't understand what's going on, but we quickly see that this is just you inviting people into a relationship. It's you using broken people who had just come to know you to share. And so I pray, I pray for us. I pray that we would be brokenhearted. It doesn't have to be 10 people, but just you would put at least one person on each of our hearts that we would just long to see them come to know you. And we'd be intentional. I pray for those who are dealing with doubt that you would... Um, that you would break through the dissonance and the fears and the intellectual issues they're facing and just show, show them how to draw near to you, that they would pursue you. And as they pursue you, I pray that their doubts would just become manageable and diminish. And then I pray, I, I pray for all of us that we would come and see that if there's someone here this morning who really has not yet come to know you, that this morning would be the day that they hear you, you asking, they hear you inviting, follow me. And that they would yield. But that all of us would come and see, all of us would follow, all of us would hear you saying, what do you really want? That all of us would invite others. In Jesus' name, amen.